make him laugh, make him laugh Bet you all tired of hearing the constant blather In the end, you just wanna know that laughing matters From entrepreneurs to Fortune 500 Humor makes the world go round You didn't know? It's a fit for a pro Like a roll with spaghetti To keep your culture light when times are heavy So sit back and relax as you raise the bar When it all comes down to the ha 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 Yeah, make him laugh, make him laugh, huh? You make him laugh, make him laugh Welcome once again to another episode of Laughing Matters, a podcast unlike any other you'll ever hear. We explore the power of humor in a world that sorely lacks humor and laughter, and how leaders from all walks of life use humor to take their edge off. I am your host, Paul Merchan, Senior Vice President of Peppercom. I'm joined as always by the regal Steve Cody, CEO of Peppercom. Good morning to you, Steve. Please address me as sir. Steve? Yes, yes. As long as if we understand. Yes, as long as we understand. And you're the court jester, Paul. Yeah, well, I, I'm calling you Regal because you have like kind of a Regal blue look going on today ah. for, for our podcast guests who can't hear. I yeah, tried I to wear blue today, but I don't I, I can't pull off the Regal like you can, unfortunately. Um, but but today we we're really honored because we have a guest we can call your honor uh, and sir. Um, he is a pioneer in the legal profession, having been the first Latino to pass the Pennsylvania bar exam and the first Latino judge in that state's history, as well as the youngest elected judge in Philadelphia at just 34 years old. He was also the first Puerto Rican White House fellow and the first minority general counsel at the United States Department of Housing and Urban Development. In addition, he has represented public entities, corporations, hospitals, banks, and nonprofit organizations in both state and federal courts for over 40 years. His autobiography titled no soy de aquí ni de allá, not from here, not from there, offers powerful lessons on finding a place in this world for Latinos who feel like outsiders. And in 2021, his alma mater, the Temple University Law School, introduced a professorship in his name, the first title of its kind to be named after a Latino. We're pleased to have with us the Honorable Judge Nelson Diaz. Good morning, Judge. Good morning. Uh, I really appreciate the introduction. I I think one of the things that you mentioned, which very few people have mentioned, uh, is the professorship and the professorship uh, i think is extremely important uh, not because it only honors a, a latino professor but mm -hmm. because the history of the contributions of latinos to civil rights have not yep. been told and yep. uh, just to run quickly one is the diversity of juries which came out of uh, texas the other one is justice marshall his first case in 1953 on segregation was the Hernandez case in California, where there the governor, who then became the chief justice, um, settled the case and, and that changed the mind of Marshall to have integration instead of separate but equal. And there are others, the bilingual education, right. bilingual voting. And so there's so much that we've contributed to the yes. civil rights of this country and nobody knows about it and nobody right. Gives, uh, gives us any credit for being precursors of that, even for the right. black community. Right, right. And, and there's, there's so many stories to tell, Judge. We're, we're so grateful to have you on to help us to tell some of those stories. And in particular, how we can use humor to, to get over some of those things and those challenges. And I wanted to ask you, you have this incredible list of accomplishments. You're obviously a trailblazer within the community being the first Latino lawyer in Pennsylvania, which is incredible for me to even fathom that. Uh, I'm sure that came with a number of challenges. Can you tell us a little bit about and maybe a few a couple of stories about how you use humor and laughter through the tough times as you progressed in your career ambitions? 
Um, one, one of the issues that I used to talk about when I traveled uh, was um, bilingual, bicultural, and by myself. And uh, to some extent, yeah. when uh, Bill Clinton gave me an award for being involved in the Democratic National Committee, I was chair of the Hispanic Caucus, um, and it was given to me in Harlem, of all places, a block away from the high school that I attended, Rice High School. Yeah. Um, I said to him, oh, you know, you finally came into my neighborhood. Everybody talks about you being the first black president. Well, you know, to some extent, you know, I, I'm here now. I'm probably blacker than you are. And uh, so, you know, he laughs, but, you know, he always has to have a comeback. And right. so he comes back and he says, Nelson, you're not you, you're still bilingual. You're still bicultural, but you're no longer by yourself. I see your you wife is here this time. <laughs> so he yeah. he uh, he has a, an incredible sense of humor yeah. uh, in terms of uh, trying to get over some of the issues you know that 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 we went through um and 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 so i i really appreciated uh, the uh, days in which uh, he had to overcome a lot of issues himself mm -hmm. yeah amen and uh, just again thank you we are pun intended honored to have your honor with us today <laughs> so a follow-up question since you you brought up um harlem you're a, uh, a son of New York, having grown up first in a tenement and then moved to the brand new high rise projects in West Harlem in the 1950s. Was it as tough a, an upbringing as it sounds? And if you can share any particularly impactful stories on how you might have handled, I'm, I'm sure, countless obstacles by using humor or laughter. Yeah, you 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 uh, you reminded me of something that I, you know, what I what I thought about it. I thought about something else. But in Harlem, at 10 years old, I thought I was middle class. You know, here I am in a brand new housing project, uh, and I'm in African-American community pretty much. I had just come from the Irish community up the hill, 134th Street of Tenement. So, uh, you know, and there were some, some issues there, some issues which, to some extent, I felt uh, somewhat intimidated by the police. You know, we used to call the police La Jara. So I used to think that, La Jara was a Spanish translation for police. Well, it was not. I found out later on, La Jara was O'Hara, <laughs> which was the, <laughs> the fact that all, all cops were Irish, so it's yeah. O'Hara, La Jara. <laughs> here, here I know, and I used to be scared of the police because, you know, we had the, these water hydrants, and yeah. we'd, 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 we'd bathe in the water hydrants, and, you know, I'm there, uh, splashing cars and swimming in the, in the water pretty much. And the cops came one time and they chased us and, you know, they closed the, the water hydrant. I ran away from the cops and I'm, yeah, I'm about five or six years old. And during that period of time, every time I saw a cop, I would get behind my mother thinking, you know, they were after me. <laughs> you saw them on TV that they had uh, these criminals that they would try after. So I was afraid of police officers for a while in my young years, and my mother had no idea why I was so afraid of cops. I see a siren going around, I'd hide behind my mother. Um, that was a, a, a tremendous thing. And then in Harlem, when the, I first got there at 10 years old, um, this uh, black Muslim recruits a baseball team. And so I get into the baseball team, and we're playing up in Columbia Field. And I catch the ball and make a double play. 
and the umpire uh, calls the first baseman person there for the double play safe. My manager got so angry. He got out there and he punched the umpire and they threw us out of the league. So, ah. <laughs> so talk about talk about yeah. one of the good things that happened after that was there was a guy by the name of Leroy Otis who played in the Negro Leagues. And uh, he coached me from, you know, he saw me at, the, at that incident and he coached me from there until I was 17 years old. And so uh, we won the league every year in that. Uh, and I played second base there and I caught and I got to play uh, baseball as well. And so it was a it was a wonderful experience that uh, if that hadn't happened, I might never had uh, had the opportunity to play for Leroy Otis. Well, let me let me just say that um, the Mets of the mid '60s and the Mets of today, <laughs> the Mets of today, could use you as their second baseman. That's right. Well, you know what, Steve? I mean, Judge Diaz probably had a, a lot better competition as well playing in, in in that field. You know, growing up in in that neighborhood, so. Must no have been argument. a ton of great players there, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it it was it was some great players. You're absolutely right. And yeah. uh, the big problem happened, you know, during that period of time. The cocaine epidemic occurred, mm-hmm. and as a result, you know, in the in the 70s, it was probably the worst period of time uh, in those communities. And many of my friends uh, died of drugs or AIDS or. Uh, gang issues. So it was a it was a, it was a sad period right after that. And there were probably many uh, kids who, if I'd had the same opportunities that that I finally got, would have been incredible in the professional communities or other activities uh, of jobs. So it, it it was a sad period for me. I got a chance to yeah. go back and yeah. see some of them uh, when I was at HUD. Um, and uh, many of them were still unemployed, and some of them were still playing basketball, and and many of them never never got out. Um, and, and and it was pretty tragic for me to see that uh, the lack of real involvement uh, in those communities. And I then went to find Leroy, and he had been a homeless guy who slept uh, on park benches and sort yeah, of uh, yeah. hustled quarters from the uh, kids to buy fish and chips and so forth. Um, and I find he had just died a year before Mm. and he had gotten a job at the church of the masters there in Harlem. And not only that, he had moved to the suburbs in Jersey and he had had a wonderful life afterwards. And, uh, the humor of the fact that here's a guy who, uh, just played with kids and did things with kids. And finally somebody recognizes talent. That's awesome to hear that that story, Judge. Uh, and you know what? Also, the the irony thinking about your story about uh, being afraid of the of, of the cops, and then you coming and working in the law later on. I mean, that's 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 got to be some serious irony right there. But uh, well, the, I, I wanted... the cops the cops used to say, "I can't lie to you because you have too much free sense." That's right. A lot of the smarts that that you learn from growing up in the streets. That's for sure. Uh, hey, I wanted to ask you about the, your book a little bit. You wrote a fantastic book. We mentioned it at the outset called "Not From Here, Not From There." No soy de quién ya. That's a phrase that hits home for so many Latin Americans like me who they're trying to make it in the United States, but because of prejudice, microaggressions that still exist, oftentimes they feel like it's still an us versus them mentality. And so I wanted to ask you a little bit about what differences do you think exist between the humor used in the Latino culture and the humor used in mainstream America? 
And then, Judge, how were you able to bridge that humor gap with your own upbringing and also in your career? I think there's a major one that we as Latinos tend to use uh, for the uh, maybe a, a really nice woman, you know, Negrita. And uh, that tends to be a, a very uh, acceptable uh, category of identification. Right. And it's a, it's a term of endearment. Uh, well, if you use that in English, um, you know, you can get uh, punched in the mouth uh, right, or, or, right. Or, or, or banned from television or otherwise. Mm -hmm. And so there, that's a major, major difference in terms of we thinking that's a good term. Well, it's not a good term in the American culture. Um, right. the, the, the other things I think is that uh, the... Uh, white community um, really uh, thinks everybody is Mexican. Um, I went out to uh, open the Hubert Humphrey um, uh, Hospital in Los Angeles, and so I had then I was working in in the White House, and uh, as I as I'm there with the vice president, you know, announcing the opening of the Humphrey. Um, the guy says, oh, I didn't know we had a Mexican in the White House. I said, yeah, yeah, you got one. You know, I was going to argue about, you know, the differences uh, yeah. of, the, of the Latino community. And, right. and we, 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 we the same thing in the East Coast. Uh, right. We have uh, more of a mixture. You know, we have right. the uh, Ecuadorians, the Colombians, the Puerto Ricans, mm -hmm. the Dominicans. And, and on the East Coast, uh, many of the white folks also assume that everybody is from one country or the other, and mm -hmm. and 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 we're we're really uh, coming from 22 different countries uh, right. as we come into uh, the United States uh, as people, and we're not all the same in right. terms of our politics and our backgrounds. I mean, the Venezuelans who are coming in now, a million came in last year. They're very conservative. Right. Well, if, you, right. if you take if you take the Mexican community and you take the Puerto Rican community and you even take the the Colombian community who's had been here a while, they're very liberal. Um, while the newcomers uh, are very conservative, and as you know, the Cubans are extremely conservative because what uh, John F. Kennedy uh, did, they 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 will never uh, change their stripes as a result of that. So th there is not a total homogeneous uh, of the Latino community. We, we, we are uh, as different as we are shades of color. And that's another thing. If they see, uh, 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 let's say a Dominican who's very black, they'll say, oh, you know, uh, they'll start talking to them in English and say, I can't speak right. any English. <laughs> you know? Right, right. I'm, I'm Dominican. And, and right. so they have no idea that we have the cultures of being Latino, being white, being Indian, and being black. And I tell them, when you see me, because I have all three of them, you see one of the most beautiful persons you've ever seen in your life. You know, that's the way the Puerto Ricans look like. <laughs> yeah, no, and you know what? So you got to use the humor. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I, I, I second that, Judge Diaz. <laughs> and um, for, for, just for the benefit of our younger listeners, uh, Google Bay of Pigs. If you want to know what JFK did that Judge Diaz was referring to, Judge, you already shared a great anecdote about Bill Clinton's sense of humor. Um, what job did you hold for Walter Fritz Mondale 
And he did not strike me as a humorous guy, but was he? You know, that, that's a very, very uh, good question because uh, I was special assistant uh, with him when I was a White House fellow. And there were no Latinos in the White House but me. And so I took on the Latino issues. And one, uh, one day, I, someone asked me to put together all the Latino leaders. I don't know who all the Latinos leaders were. So I gathered them together. And uh, once some guy from Texas has a press conference criticizing me for not inviting him to this leadership meeting at the White House. So I, I, I feel embarrassed. So I, I go over to the vice president, look, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I'm, I may have left somebody important. I didn't know where everybody was. I got the list from the Mexican-American Legal Defense Fund, uh, Vilma Martinez, who's a, an incredible leader. And uh, he said, well, let me have the list. So I give him the list. He invites them all back to the White House to meet with him. And he does not invite the guy who at the press conference <laughs> they're criticizing me. So you, you can see how he was such a loyal figure. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm a staffer. He's loyal to me. He was very loyal uh, to uh, President Carter, who, who is still, uh, you know, living, thank God. But, yeah. but with President Carter, uh, I took a trip with Mondale to, we were going to California, and we were going to set up a birthday party for Jimmy Carter. And as we're going, we find out that Jimmy Carter had announced a sale of planes to the Saudi Arabians. So Mondale gets up from the plane and says, you know, what the heck do I do now? We're going to LA. It's a large Jewish community. What do we do? Do we turn the plane around? Um, do we deny? Do I disagree? Hamilton Jordan happened to be on the boat, who was just his chief of staff, was on the, on, the, on the plane. And they talked it over. They said, well, let's cancel the birthday party issue and let's talk to the Jewish community about this decision. And that's what they did. We had a big, <laughs> big place uh, that was supposed to have a lot of people, only had a large group of the Jewish leadership, and they discussed it. And uh, that, the, the loyalty of the man was something that uh, is not seen today in politics. Yeah, the authenticity behind that decision-making is so lacking today. I completely agree. Paul, over to you. Yeah, no, Judge, uh, this has been wonderful. We just have a final question for you. Uh, and you've shared with us uh, a lot of great uh, stories from, from your, your work. And uh, we'd love to sh for you to share with us uh, if you have any embarrassing stories, any cringeworthy stories, whether it's from your childhood, whether it's from your career, that now you can kind of laugh about, but at the time it was a little bit challenging. Anything like that you can share? I've had a lot of embarrassing stories, a lot. Um, and, and, and some I don't want to talk about because um, <laughs> They, they they make me look so awkward in the position, but 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 I'll tell you one story. When I was ten years old, it was my first trip to Puerto Rico, and I was going to meet my father. I hadn't never met my father, so I'm going to meet my father, and we go to my grandmother's house, who lived in a very poor wooden house. Um, they had a bunch of pigs and a pig pen in the area and for the first time i see those kind of animals and i said oh man i see a pig in person well everybody laughed in person, ah. <laughs> it's, a pig in person. it's not a person <laughs> so everybody laughed 
I fell into the pig pen. My mother had just bought me a white suit in oh, the no, Bowery no. <laughs> in New York. That white suit got totally wiped out. So first thing, get to Puerto Rico. And uh, she had to figure out how to wash that suit so I could get it again. Imagine falling into a pig pen thinking mm -hmm. that I could play with the pigs, right? Uh, what a what a great story. That, I mean, that, that's everyone, that's what you call that's what relate. you call yeah, that's what you call a pig in person, just the end, right? Yeah, person, pig in, in the person. pig pen. That's right. So that's right. First person experience for sure, Judge. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah. Now you know you if know, you go I shopping have... at the Bowery, don't don't take your uh, newly uh, bought white clothes to the that's pig right. pen in, in, in Puerto Rico. You know what I mean? That's right. Well, you know, I I only wore another white suit just once again in my life, and that's because you know there was the uh, that movie. Uh, with that uh, uh, dancing movie. Uh, oh, sure, Travolta, Saturday Travolta, Night Fever. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Johnny Travolta. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so yeah. I, you know, you want to be a style. So I, the only other time I wore a white suit was the day that I was selected as a White House fellow. We took pictures with uh, Jimmy Carter. So I'm here with my white three-piece suit. You know, I'm, I, I think I'm looking like Johnny Revolting. You know. <laughs> did you did you do uh, the yeah, hustle? Did you dance yeah, at all? Yeah, yeah, I could do it. I could do it. You know, there you go. Everybody saw. Um, but there was there, there have been a lot of yeah. embarrassing moments. Part of it because of my naivety, being naive. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. and the second reason was because I, I, I had trouble accepting racism, and yeah. so and so I you know I, I would you know, work, work out, I, I have refined myself a little bit. Um, but good. in those early days, uh, I was very vocal um, in uh, not accepting racism. And in fact, uh, my first few years of practicing law, I sued everybody. You know, I sued the federal government, I sued the state government, I sued the Department of Education, um, you know, in, in order to try to use what I had learned uh, to be able to incorporate the Latino community in Philadelphia. Um, but then, you know, Mondale taught me sometimes you have to walk two paces back before you walk one pace forward. And and, and I learned how to be a little more civil uh, after that experience. And, and it's important to learn when uh, you have an opportunity to convince somebody and not to be able to confront somebody uh, so that uh, the world can be a little, a little uh, more civil uh, between one another. Uh, and the, the, the yeah. other, the other thing Clinton taught me about was mm. people who have ideologies. You'll never be able to convince, you know, because the ideology is the ideology. But if people are talking about facts and you're talking about facts, then it's a lot more easier to be able to argue or to be able to try to convince someone with regard to facts. And, and, and he says that's the trouble with a lot of politicians today, that uh, it's all ideology and not facts. Yeah, Spoke, spoken like a true judge, Des Diaz. Thank you. Thank you for that. Well, well, this has been wonderful. I really, really appreciate you coming on and telling us all these great stories. And, and uh, thank you. I wanted to also acknowledge for the listeners out there your your book, uh, Not From Here, Not From There, No Soy De Aquí Ni De Allá. Uh, if you want to take a look at that, it's a fantastic book. Um, thank you again, Judge Steve. Any last uh, words for Judge Diaz before we sign off? Just just remarkable life that you've led, uh, mm -hmm. remarkable contributions that you've made and continue to make. And it really has been an honor to have you here, Your Honor. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, uh, one of the things that I tell people is not to have any fear. 
um, and 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 uh, that's what holds people back. Um, and uh, even if you're naive as I was, uh, if you're honest and if you tell the truth, uh, nine times out of ten, you might be able to break a barrier. Great words for everyone to live by, Judge. Thank you so much. Thank you all for well for joining the Laughing Matters podcast. We'll see you all next time.